Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. As we read it, the, uh, the question for us is, okay, but really, what does this story mean for us? It's so dramatic, and it's so out there. It can seem like it really doesn't have anything to do with us. And so I want you to think about that as we're reading today to, to reflect on, okay, what might this mean for me today? Um, and in, in terms of context here, um, keep in mind that uh, the, three, the three heroes of this story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, are three Hebrew youths who were taken from their homeland, and they're in captivity in Babylon. But they've been given a position of honor in the king's court. They've been trained, and they're now officials in the, in the court. Uh, along with Daniel. We saw Daniel already, Daniel interpreting dreams of the king. The other thing that's important to remember is the dream that Daniel just interpreted for King Nebuchadnezzar was about a huge statue that was gold and silver and bronze and clay, and the statue was destroyed by the rock, not cut by human hands. And we saw how that was, that was God destroying the kingdoms of the earth. And so then, after Daniel has interpreted this dream for Nebuchadnezzar and said, hey, your kingdom of gold, but your, your kingdom will fall and all the other kingdoms will fall and God's kingdom will last forever. Um, Nebuchadnezzar decides to go and build himself a big statue. So that's, that's where our story begins. This is Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be, to the God, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give it to us, uh, that even though it is a, a fantastic story from so long ago, that we know that you have given this word for us today. So we pray now, Holy Spirit, would you make this word known to us, not just for understanding in our heads, but for transformation in our hearts, that it may change the way we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to, to imagine a, a glorious quest, probably, probably from a movie. You're probably going to think of your favorite movie quest. And when I think of my favorite movie quest, I will naturally go to the Lord of the Rings because where else would you go for a great movie quest? And so in the Lord of the Rings, of course, the, the hobbits, um, and their companions of various kinds. It's a long and complicated story, but fundamentally, Frodo the Hobbit and his faithful servant Sam take the ring of power from their home in the quiet shire, and they take it all the way to the land of Mordor, where they destroy it uh, in the realm of the Dark Lord. And of course, there's lots of challenges along the way, but there's a great line relatively early on in the quest when they're trying to cross the mountains, and uh, they get caught up in storms in the Misty Mountains, and they're discouraged, and they just want to go home. They've already been through quite a bit, and Frodo's imagining, I just want to go home, and then he thinks, he thinks about what that book would be. He's talking to his uncle Bilbo, well, storm's on the 21st of May, and you turn back. That's not a very exciting story, Frodo, 
And, and it wouldn't be, right? That would not be a story that gets a book written. We love the glorious quests where people go to the end. And really, that's, that's what we have here. We have heroes. This is, this is a hero story like, like no other. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego facing the, the wrath of an all-powerful king are just like, nope, not going to worship your statue. Do whatever you want. So they get thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. You may have heard that mentioned a few times as I read for emphasis, the burning, fiery furnace, and yet they are untouched. And they come out, and the king's like, wow, everybody should worship their god. And it's a glorious quest, and it's a glorious hero story. And yet, our life, sometimes we're a lot more like Frodo's desire to turn back, where we set off on the quest, and we're like, you know what, let me not do that. Let me just go home. And we wonder, we look at these hero stories, whether we're looking at the stories of our, our literature, like the Lord of the Rings, or whether we're looking at the stories in the Bible. Like, how can we stand like this? We see the call from the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we must worship God alone and not turn to other gods and not compromise our worship of God, whatever the cost. And yet, how? And if we want to see what this story means for us today, it really doesn't do us that much good to, to be stirred up, say, be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Be like Frodo. Be like Harry Potter. Be like the great heroes. Because we just can't, we can't do it. We, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's exciting for a little while, and then we fall short. But if we look deeper into this story, we can see where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get their strength from. And we can see what it means to worship God alone. And we can see what it might actually mean for today. And there's, we can see in here three aspects of how we can worship God alone. And I've been told that I should say these a little more slowly for people who are writing them down. So the first thing we see is that we have to recognize the temptation. The second thing we see is that we have to set our hearts firmly. And the third thing we see, and the most important thing we see, is that we have to look to the real power. So we recognize the temptation, we set our hearts firmly, and we look to the real power. And that recognizing the temptation is important, because it's easy to miss that here. It's, for some, it's such a familiar story. Uh, even if it's not a familiar story, it's an exciting story. And and it can seem like, well, of course, it's, it's a story. It's a hero story. It's, the tension is building. It's like, of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not going to give in and worship the statue. That would be wrong. But we have to step back and realize that, actually, that was not at all easy for them. First of all, there's, the author here spends quite a bit of time building up the temptation that was given to them. There's like a, everybody's doing it. It's the command of the king. There's music involved. I mean, seriously, like music makes us do things. This is the creation of an emotional atmosphere. It's a creation of, of a triggering response. You hear the music, you bow down and worship. It's just very easy to go along with what everybody is doing. And we also have to remember where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from. This was, they were not, until we get to Daniel, they, they were not necessarily in their, their people and their culture that they had come from were not 
examples of faithful righteousness and obedience to God. They were part of the people that had been exiled, had been judged by God. Why? Largely for worshiping idols. So for them to fall down and worship this image would have been absolutely normal. They were doing it back at home. That's what their people had done. Now, clearly, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have realized and repented of the failings of their people, but we shouldn't gloss over the temptation that this was for them. It would have been so easy to just go along with it. Their culture had done it historically. It would have saved their necks. They could have justified it very easily in their heads. So we, we have to recognize the temptation. And this is where this comes in to mean something for us. Because one of the things that feels far removed about this is really nobody today is challenging us to go and say, you must worship images. Like, it's just not, it's just not exactly our style, right? Worship the image or we're going to throw you into the fire. But there are lots and lots of temptations to take us to worship something other than God. And when we start to examine them, when we start to think about it, we can see what does it mean to worship? To worship means where, where we spend our time. What controls our schedule? What controls our emotions? And we can start to think about, okay, is our life schedule, is it centered around God and the worship of Him? Are our emotions rooted in prayer, in turning to God for help? Even when we feel anger, are we angered about things that dishonor God? Or are we angry when things just don't go our way? So as we start to think about what worship actually means day in and day out, we can see actually there are a lot of temptations. There's the temptation to worship wealth and the collection of wealth at all costs and to make that the top priority. There's the collection to worship relationships and popularity and having people like you as the ultimate good. There's the temptation to worship politics and the accumulation of political power and having our side in charge. There's the temptation, the temptation to worship comes from all directions. And so we have to be aware of that and aware that it's not always the big and crazy things. Sometimes it's the small things. There's a great uh, quote uh, in the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis uh, which is, these are letters from a senior devil tempter to a junior tempter. So it's backwards. Just keep that in mind. Um, so this is the devils speaking to one another about their human. You will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, without signposts, without turnings. And that's a scary thought, to think that, the, but that's why we need to recognize the temptation for us it's not likely to be the crazy King Nebuchadnezzar. It's going to be the things that distract and take us away from focusing our hearts on God. So once we recognize the temptation, then 
like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we can set our hearts firmly. Their, their words in verses 16 and 17 are, are, and 18 are legendary and should be. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if you're going to cast us into the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, even if not, if God does not deliver, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And it is a setting of our hearts firmly to say we will worship God first. But keep in mind, this is in response to the small temptations because we're not likely to face the big things. We're not likely to face the crazy kings. So how then can we set our hearts? Part of that is a matter of setting good habits saying, I will center my week around gathering for worship on Sunday. This is what Christians have done for centuries. They've gathered on the first day of the week because it is good for us. It is good for our souls. It aligns our hearts to God. And I will arrange everything else around that. I will set that as a commitment. I will set my heart firmly to make a habit of giving my money. This is why we give money as an act of worship. And it has been a habit of Christians throughout the centuries to set aside the first fruits, to set aside money first, say, you know what? First, I'm going to take some. Traditionally, people have sought to set aside 10%. Some people, may, you may look at them and be like, There's, I just can't do that. But whatever it is to set aside, say, I'm going to set aside 1%, 2%, 5%, 10%. I'm going to take what God has given me and say, first, this goes to God. And that aligns my heart and my attitude towards money. So I realize and I'm transformed to see that the worship of God, that the, worship, the seeking of wealth is not the ultimate thing, that the worship of God is the ultimate thing, and then everything else follows after. Worship, our, our time, and our money. Those are just two issues. There's other areas in which you can set habits and set your hearts on God, but those are two that are very controlling for us. And so they are good things that Christians have set throughout the centuries as, as good habits to keep their hearts focused on God. But ultimately, if we want Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faith, if we want faith that will go into the fiery furnace, we have to look to the real power. And we can't, we, we can't miss this in this story. We can't miss the way that God saved them. Because ultimately, this is not just a hero tale of their great faith. It is not even just a story of the God from afar who saved them. But did you notice that even here in the Old Testament that God came near? We see it once they're thrown into the fiery furnace in verse 24. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. There are four men in the fire. Now there's, you know, we, many, many people look at this and say that this was Jesus himself. Before he was born of Mary, as the son of God himself came down, what we call a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. We can't know that for sure. The text does not say that definitively. But what is clear is that God himself, in some form, came into the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so the great hope 
here. The great hope for us, if we want to be faithful followers of God, is that we serve a God who enters the fire. That Jesus and did not just say far off and send down commands from heaven to say, do this and do great things. Do great things for me. Instead, he came near. God came down and entered the fire to protect Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then Jesus himself came and lived his entire life going through the fire of this earth with us, that we worship a God in faith, not on our own strength, but because he has come near to us to offer us relationship with him. This is the hope and promise of Christianity. This is the hope that allows us to persevere, is that our God enters the fire. And with him in the fire, we can walk through. And the even more glorious part of this is that even when we fail, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego displayed faith, but even when we do not display the same faith, and they should be, and we should be punished in the fire. But our God, who enters the fire for us, takes that punishment on our behalf. And so even when your faith fails, Jesus takes that on himself and then gives his perfect life into you that you may repent and that you may walk in obedience and faithfulness to him. This is our hope this morning. In a year of trials, in a year of fire, in a year of testing, we have hope in the God who enters that fire with us, offers us relationship with himself, offers us forgiveness for our sins, new hope when we have fallen. The great, uh, the great expression of that is now as we come to the Lord's table. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.